Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Hello, modern women. How are you? How does this find you? Uh, So good to connect with you. Thank you for being here. Okay, last week, the conversation with Avatara Ananda was the most listens ever to happen in one week to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. And so um, I'm really glad that the return of the feminine Christ, (laughs) who lives in holy union with the masculine Christ, um, inside of each of us, I'm really glad that that information is resonating with you. That's amazing. Um, And here we find ourselves, you know, in the last months of 2020 and approaching this election in the U.S. And it feels to me like you know, what, I, what I've been saying all year, if you've been listening all year, <laughs> is that this is really a time for us to align to this truth of who we are. And this is a time for this sacred union to happen inside of us. And I think, you know, the numbers last week are showing me this, the numbers of women who are signing up for my free divine mother meditation series, like it's showing me that we really do know that something really big is happening. (laughs) Something really big is happening. And it doesn't always feel pretty. In fact, um, yeah, most times, like right now, in this climate that we're in, it doesn't feel comfortable. But you know, I I don't know if we really thought that the return of the sacred feminine and, and like the return of the sacred masculine would really feel easy. That would be really nice. Like, and I think it it can feel nice, but it obviously there needs to be disruption. I mean, if we're disrupting a system that has been operating under a certain level of power and control, and we're saying, actually, I would like, you know, to live in alignment with truth and autonomy now, please, that's going to disrupt that system, right? So I was just talking to someone about this, and I want you all to imagine right now, where are you looking for comfort, security, uh, provision, assuredness? Where are you looking for that outside of yourself? And yeah, we all need community. I'm not saying that. But where are you sort of outsourcing or displacing your truth, your knowing, your Yes. Where are you outsourcing that, hoping that something in the outside world is going to show you or prove to you or validate for you the next thing you know you need to do on your path? So that's that's what's up right now, right? It's like really challenging times out there in the world. And it's also right on schedule. Like the reason that this podcast is for 
modern women waking up to the truth of who we are is because we are all doing this right inside of everyday life. We don't get a vacation to go have our awakening. This happens right inside everyday life. It, you know, it happens like right at the kitchen table, you know, with, with the child who's doing the homeschooling. It happens right inside the relationship that's been running the patriarchal programming. And you're the woman saying, actually, this isn't flying for me anymore. Like this is where the global awakening is actually taking place right inside of the lives of women and probably right inside of your life. So I really just want to put voice to that, that this is the time to just claim the importance of that, to, to investigate the sacred nature of that, you know, be with it, be with this notion that what is happening inside of you right now, what wants to come from you right now actually helps to contribute toward the birthing of the new earth that we imagine we can have and we can be and we can live inside of. And then your life becomes activism, like your, your choice to align to the sacred within you and say yes to you, that becomes activism for your life and, and for the collective. So you don't need to, um, you know, we don't, whatever's playing out in the politics is going to play out in the politics. But the way that we really shift things is through our own life. And I didn't understand this for a really long time. I did not. Um, But I do now. And I see women doing it. And I see you doing it. And if we haven't met yet, I hope we do. Remember that there is a Facebook group free for listeners of this podcast called The Sacred Remembering Group. You can go to Facebook and find that. Um, community calls are happening with me the first and third Thursdays. You can go to sarahpoet.com and we are talking about this modern woman awakening and specifically about the, the feminine and masculine path and how that's playing out inside of our relationships and inside of us where those projections come in. Um, we're healing a lot of that right now in the collective and please know that I'm available for one-on-one support. Um, I don't, I probably don't have another group coming up until um, 2021. You never know what spirit tells me I will do. But, um, you know, if you need one-on-one support right now, go to sarahpoet.com and book in. I would love to talk with you. I love the conversation that we are about to have today. It's it's a really, really sweet conversation. And we're going to talk about your unique constitution in the body. Right? And that's, um, that's an Ayurvedic conversation. So I'm going to introduce that. I am just sending love to the heart of each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for leaving some really sweet reviews lately and rating the podcast. Um, it really means a lot to me. So thanks for being here. Thanks for living as activism. Thanks for believing in yourself and in the truth of who you are. You are sacred. You are beautiful. I love you. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Today's guest is Hari Simran Khalsa. She attended school in India and completed her high school education there, as well as training in yoga and Ayurveda. She earned her Kundalini teaching certificate at the age of 17 and has been teaching ever since. After receiving a bachelor's degree in international business, she then earned a postgraduate degree in Ayurvedic medicine from the California College of Ayurveda. Her work with yoga practitioners and clients incorporates the principles of these powerful and ancient health sciences. For over a decade, Hari Simran has brought ancient teachings and technology to modern health and life issues, using Ayurvedic medicine and Kundalini yoga as the tools to support the self-healing and happiness that's possible. In this episode, we traverse Hari's unique life path and calling, as well as we dive into the wonderful world of Ayurvedic medicine. 
Ayurveda is an ancient medicinal pathway with so many applications for modern women, and I really want you to hear and understand what's possible in this area, and that's why I brought Hari onto the show. Please enjoy this gentle conversation with the beautiful Hari Simran and find out more as well as schedule your own Ayurvedic consultation with her at harisimranayurveda.com. Hello, Hari. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. So great to have you here. Thank you. So happy to be here. It's wonderful to meet you, Amy Piper, who um, has been on the podcast talking about EFT, emotional freedom technique and tapping, connected us. I'm I'm really grateful. And you're in LA, another LA new friend. (laughs) Yes, LA, the place, the place to be sometimes. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I, I love it. There's this like um, Kundalini community in LA that um, it, I was, we were talking about before we hit record that I, I'm getting to meet um, friends in the, in the Kundalini community in LA. So I'm really enjoying that. But today we're going to talk about Ayurveda and Kundalini probably, but Ayurveda, which is your profession, correct? Yeah, yes. Um, I, I'm an Ayurvedic health practitioner and coach and counselor. So it's a big part of what I do. And, um, and it really does tie in really well with, with yoga and and Kundalini. So all, all a big bag of goodies to talk about. Yeah. Well, I can't wait because so Ayurveda is important to me. It's really important to me. Um, when I was, probably like 30 or 32, which is going on eight, 10 years ago. And my son was a toddler and I had such stress, such like adrenal fatigue. I was working as a school principal and I had tremendous IBS primarily because of a trauma and losing a child years before that, but I had tremendous IBS. And I said to myself, totally like, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And I said to myself, okay, for this birthday, all I want is Ayurveda. Like, I I found it like a radar or something (laughs) had, had honed me toward it. And I just knew that I needed it. And with severe IBS for many, many years, Ayurveda has been the soothing balm um, that has like that I've always returned to. I actually have my current formula of dried herbs in hot water on my desk right beside me right now. <laughs> uh, so I love it. I, so that's just a little personal story about, um, yeah, my my deep respect for what Ayurveda is. I love that. Um, I love that because IBS is such an umbrella term and I hear that so often. Um, and I think it's so interesting. You you told me you're in, um, North Carolina. Yes. And one of my favorite, most beloved teachers is out there as Mm -hmm. well. And she's amazing, but I just made that connection as you were talking about Mm. Ayurveda and and finding someone to help you with that. So that's such a beautiful story. And um, I love hearing those stories. Yeah. So I, I share that so that listeners, um, I don't know, I like sharing personal stories and, and also it kind of opens us up to like, well, what is it? (laughs) what is it I would I used to go into his office this practitioner and I'd be like I want my whole house to smell like this (laughs) because there were so many herbs and so many oils and he's like that's a really strange thing to say (laughs) but um yeah I mean how would you introduce the conversation about like what is Ayurveda would you say would you talk about the doshas well you know I usually I usually introduce it as as saying it's an it's an ancient healing art from India because um, mm-hmm. it really is it's an art um, mm-hmm. it's a medicine it's an art and it's such a lifestyle and way of 
um, you know, the practitioner is the medicine person, but it's also the, the one who's practicing Ayurveda that is the lifestyle. So it's, I always introduce it as, you know, the ancient art of healing from India, 5,000 plus years old. Um, and one of the first things I always say is that even though it's quote unquote ancient, um, it's, it speaks to, you know, it's timeless. It speaks to us right now. It speaks to us a hundred years ago. It speaks to us a thousand years ago. It's just timeless. Um, so I, I like medicine. That. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is it the oldest medicine in the world? They say that. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> I always kind of say, well, maybe Chinese medicine might argue with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the Vedas, they say the Vedas, which are the scriptures that the Ayurveda comes from, are the most ancient, oldest texts in the world. So that's, I think, where they get that um, saying that it's the oldest medicine in the world. Mm, okay. Okay. So there's, I mean, there's just, there's 5,000 years of history and of deep practice um, in this art form. I love how you call it an art form. Yeah. So how did you find it? Um, well, I, so I had a very unique childhood. Um, I grew up in a, an ashram type setting where it's like, like a, you know, a yogic community. And I went to boarding school in India, very young from kindergarten through high school. And I was really raised in it. I was raised with Mm. the medicine. I was raised with all the concepts, um, not all the concepts per se, but a lot of them. And it kind of just was seeped in my life. And um, I think it was in high school that I, I was really being drawn toward the healing arts. I wanted to become a doctor of some sort. And I was kind of playing around with going to medical school. And I kind of dabbled in thinking about that. And then it just wasn't really speaking to my heart. And, and suddenly I was like, you know what? Ayurveda is it. Like, it's so creative. Um, there's so many things I can do with it. I connect with it so deeply. I think one of the things that really, really drew me to it was the herbs and kind of that herbal world, which is a whole other section of Ayurveda. And um, it kind of just went from there. I fell mm. in love with it. So you had used it as a child, but do I remember this correctly that you actually went to school for business first? I did. Okay. (laughs) That was an interesting little um, uh, argument I had with my parents because (laughs) they really wanted me to go to business school first and, you know, get business school under your belt. You can do whatever you want after that. And I was like, oh, I don't want to. And they kind of, they didn't make me, but they really encouraged me. And they just said, oh, lay a great foundation. So I did, I went to undergrad international business, which I'm very grateful for now. Um, mm. Way to go parents, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, post-grad, I, I did about three or four years um, of Ayurveda school out, out here in Northern California. So yeah, lots of school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you knew that you wanted to practice Ayurveda before the business school and you were like, okay, well I'll be practical and follow, follow the parents advice or whatever. I'm not meaning to put words in your mouth, but I love, you know, that, that time, in women's lives, we're talking about sacred remembering and aligning to truth. And so it's like, you know, what happens right there at that, at that jump from like adolescence into college and early adulthood. It's like, wow, those decisions that we make and why we make them <laughs> it oh really fascinates me, you know? Yes. And just to put another layer on that, I, you know, I had spent 13 years in India in a boarding school. And then I came back to America to like integrate, to go to college. And 
talk about transition. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. that was definitely a very intense transition. And I think looking back on it now, I am grateful I went to business school because I could have just leaned real comfortable into going to Ayurveda school back into the Indian culture. Um, but it actually really helped me. It helped me to step outside of my comfort zone and, and just kind of see what America was like. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So why were you in India? So I, um, I was again, raised in what we call kind of the Kundalini community and, um, my parents at the time, along with, with all of my friends' parents really felt like, um, you know, India was, was a really beautiful place for us to go and experience life, um, experience a different uh, environment and community. And so they all decided to send, to send us to India in a group, um, and, and go to school there, like more of a kind of Western type school, but, um, it was a school that the community had built in India. Okay. So there was a Kundalini community in California and they built a school in India, but you were there without your parents. I was. And wow, there's Kundalini communities all over the country and all over the world. Okay. And I actually was raised in New Mexico. Um, and yeah, so we all went, you know, there's about a hundred of us, of us kids with some staff members and kind of, you know, my first years in India, we were actually integrated into an Indian boarding school. Um, and then, you know, a couple years later, we, we created our own school in India. And so, you know, it was a very unique kind of bubble. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, you know, we came home for the summers and then we would go back for nine months. So I I spent 13 years of my life doing that before college. 13 years before college would mean that you went very young. Really young. Yeah. I was in kindergarten. So kindergarten through high school. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. I, it's, you know, it's so unique in, in my opinion, um, unique to me. And so, um, you know, what, what an upbringing. So would you tell us more about Kundalini and like, when you say the Kundalini community, um, so Kundalini was, founded by Yogi Bhajan in the sixties. Clearly my history is not, is not. Oh no, you're actually really, (laughs) you're really right on. I mean, the six, like, I think Yogi Bhajan came here in 69, I think. And he brought this yoga to the West. And so he was taught by his teacher in India. And then, you know, many years later, he brought it here in the sixties and, you know, mostly through the seventies, these communities were starting to be created, um, by his guidance. So, um, the first community was in Los Angeles and that's why I think there's so many people here who practice Kundalini because Mm. it was like the first place it was practiced. And one of the bigger, um, they call it ashrams. So like places where the community was, um, you know, growing and, and living together, Mm-hmm. And then New Mexico was the other kind of big community that that got established. And then all over the country, New York and even, you know, North Carolina. I mean, there's Kundalini type communities everywhere. Um, but Los Angeles and New Mexico were the first ones. And, you know, 60s, 70s, they were really being established. Um yeah. And then my parents, they, they met in the eighties and they settled in New Mexico and that's where I was raised. So did you have, okay. So you were, you were growing up in this Kundalini community and then you 
um, became an adult and they said, <laughs> go to business school, but you also wanted to continue in the tradition. So was there a time where you felt rebellious around this community? You know, it's so, it's, it's so funny. I get that question so often and yeah, I mean, I think I was always a little rebellious and I never knew it. Mm. And I always, you know, growing up in India back in those days, and I know it wasn't that long ago. I'm, I'm 34 and I went, went from four years old to 17. And in India back then, it was like, you know, the fifties <laughs> was, mm. there was no technology. I mean, it was really hard to even communicate with our parents. It was, there wasn't a lot there. And, and, you know, we were kind of seeped into this culture, which is such a beautiful culture, but it's also, you know, trying to navigate our way in a mm. third world country being quote unquote American, but not really American because I always felt half Indian (laughs) Mm -hmm. from four years old to 17. So I think in myself, I always felt like there was a little bit of like a rebel where I was like, I always wanted to kind of do my own thing. You know, I always wanted to take my upbringing, but like I loved a lot of the Western stuff as well. So I was always trying to find a way to balance it and, find a way to like live both lifestyles in a way and feel good about it. And there are a lot of blessings in that. And there is a lot of hardship. Um, and I think even now I'm still like working that out for myself, you know, just, mm. I don't know if I would call it rebellion, like the typical, like sneak out of the house or, throw the books out the window kind of rebellion, but there's definitely some questioning and how do I navigate this? And how do I, how do I be in America and how do I be in India? And definitely trying to find that for myself, I felt like was a little bit of a rebellion in the way that I didn't, I didn't like the rules. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And in either culture? Yeah. In general, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, still kind of navigating those waters, but, um, you know, I think finding as, as we get older, and, and maybe you feel this too, just kind of knowing and understanding that I think we all have our rebellions. We all have our unique ways. And that's why I love Ayurveda. And that's really how Ayurveda, you know, helped me so much is the remembering of every one of us are unique. We all have our unique stories. We've all had the unique way we've rebelled or wanted to escape or find our own sanctuary. Right. Because, you know, culture has a lot of conformity in it. Mm-hmm. And um, so as I listen to you speak, when I say sacred remembering and I say let sacred truth, it's like the truth that is inside of you that is that is yours. And so as I listen to you, I, I relate in that way that, yeah, perhaps I was rebelling um, and there were so many things worth rebelling against. <laughs> there were so many things worth questioning, you know, to, and then similarly to you, it's like, well, all we have to do is really, truly allow our unique constitution and our unique truth and blueprint um, to, to come through. So, I love that segue. Let's go back to Ayurveda and maybe talk about that unique signature and how this art form and this old medicine really is a tool for that, for that unique constitution and living that unique, what I would call like a blueprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so for your listeners and like, just for all of us, I mean, Ayurveda, just, you know, quickly Ayurveda has the concept of the three, the three um, types or what we call doshas or really humors and kind of each person has their unique combination of these three aspects and they're living them in their own way. And so um, really what I do as a practitioner is I kind of, I kind of put those aside actually. And I go back to the elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, Mm. because each dosha is made up of one or two of these elements. And I've noticed in my practice when I start to assign a constitution to somebody, they begin to get attached. They begin to, um, some of the, you know, attachments come out that the, um, well, I need to do this because I'm a pitta kapha and, and Mm -hmm. I have fire and water and and I can't eat that and I can't do that. And it becomes like a rigid thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very careful about that. And so I like to go into the elements and I like to talk about our unique constitutions in terms of, you know, yes, you have an innate amount of water and an innate amount of fire and air and ether. But even though your constitution is, is a certain way and mine is a certain way, what really matters is the way that you're moving through the cycles of your life and the cycles of the seasons. Mm. And so I think that as a culture, and maybe this is more of a Western thing, um, we get really caught up in our body type, right? And that's what everyone wants to know. Like, what is my body? You know, what is my what am I a pitta kapha? Do I have more? Why am I gaining weight this way or losing weight this way? Or why can't I eat this and I can eat that? And um, we get really attached to that. And myself included, when I first started Ayurveda, it was really feeding into that kind of mindset and realizing that we can know our unique constitution and love that but that it's going to change subtly through the seasons and our life cycles. So I really like to come into that approach of change happens within your unique constitution. How do we let go of attachment from that space? I love that. And then, yeah, it's so culturally appropriate. I feel to be talking about this because yeah, and just there's almost this um, furrowing in my brow as I think of, of the question or as I feel into this, like there's just such a collective want and need to know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about is another way of flowing of, you know, like gathering the information by opening and not knowing all of the absolutes versus rules <laughs> yes, <laughs> and forms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay. So, and you do consultations, you know, from, from anywhere in the world. I mean, you can do this kind of over the phone. And so if someone uh, were to come to you and they're, they're talking to you about, um, you know, say it was me at age 32 and I'm like, I have IBS. It hurts in this way, in this way. Um, how would you coach that, that 32 year old me in, I guess, expanding that scope mm-hmm. when yeah. I'm so desperately looking for answers, right? I was so desperately looking for answers. I was in such pain. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, You know, it's so important to me to address somebody's um, emotional space first. And so if, if you were to come to me at 32, I have IBS, I'm so distraught and so stressed. 
my first thing is to meet you where you're at, right? So if you're like, I need answers, you know, I want something to help me. I've got to meet you where you're at as a practitioner. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, your needs initially aren't being met. So the first thing I would do with you is, you know, talk to you about your symptoms and talk to you about what's stressing you in your life and, you know, talk to you about your, your foods that you take in and how you're taking them in and your relationship with food um, and your relationship with work. And I would have a conversation with you about all of that. And at the end of that conversation, um, usually in the first consult, I, st- I do some Ayurvedic um, assessments, which actually really helps people relax <laughs> after having that conversation. You know, we, we kind of like, I look at their tongue and they really like that. And, and I take a look at their face and just their body. Even on Zoom, I can do this. And if I'm in person with somebody, I'll take their pulse, which is very relaxing after just kind of like talking about what's going on, Mm -hmm. Um, just giving them some touch and taking their pulse. And so after I do all of that, um, I always like to give a couple of of recommendations just to start. And I never want to overwhelm somebody when they're coming in, even though, like you said, especially in our culture, we want like, a hundred things to do to fix this thing like right now. Yeah. And so my job and my, my intention is to, because everybody's so different is to really meet that person where they're at and really hear what they need in that moment when they first come in. And if, if we can address that, they're, they're going to be set up for success right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, any, any medical, any life condition, right? It's so holistic. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, I love that you started with, you know, you were um, this new mom and you had IBS. I mean, I've worked with so many postpartum moms um, and I do some postpartum care, some postpartum doula care. And you know, IBS is such an umbrella term, but the the fact that in the Western culture, moms are expected to just be quote unquote normal right after they've had a baby or they're supposed to look a certain way or they're supposed to eat everything they were eating before is just totally not realistic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the lack of care and holding and nourishment that's happening in the postpartum world is just, um, it's quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I didn't have a woman, a, a female community at that point in time, really. Like I, I knew it was like, I knew which calories to eat, but I didn't know how to nourish, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was the primary income earner. So I was like back to work when my son was, I I thankfully had seven months off. I know some moms have way less than that and, you know, breastfeeding, but I was like, yeah, caffeinating, teaching during the day, like Mm -hmm. during the planning period, you know, just going, 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 going. And so, yeah, it's a lot to unravel. So I really appreciate what you said about um, meeting people exactly where they are. That's what we all have to do. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. all we can do all the time. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more about the herbs because I think you said that that's your favorite part and I just feel, I mean, the herbs have like been life-changing for me. And so um, I'd love to hear you talk more about them because I know very little about the herbs other than they come to me in a powdered formula and I mix them with water and they heal me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, you know, my favorite part is like the counseling along with the herbs. It's like 
magic. And mm-hmm. herbs are so amazing because they're they're beings, they're alive, you know, they're mm-hmm. gonna respond to us as we believe in them. And mm-hmm. the 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 reason I said counseling along with the herbs is because I've noticed, you know, even within myself, when I take a pill or I take an herb and I'm like, just work, just, you know, just do your thing, you know, mm-hmm. or right. like, and I'm stressed or I'm, I'm um, not really believing in it. You know, it might work for a certain amount of time or, or it might not. Um, a lot of times the herbs may not work the way we think they should. And then we give up on them. Or mm. we just feel like they're not working fast enough. And so we stop. And so I'm fascinated by the herbs because in my practice, I noticed that when I prescribe an herbal formula, which I usually do in a formula because um, herbs thrive on other herbs. So just like humans, mm. we are social beings and herbs are, are as well. Um, and so I like to give herbs in an herbal formula because, um, they need each other. And again, everybody's unique. Everybody's constitution is unique. Everybody's digestive ability is unique. And so if I just give them a single herb to take most of the time, um, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't quite work as well as if I formulate it for them. And so when they're taking the herbs and we're doing counseling around the symptom that they're having, I just see the herbs working so amazingly. It's pretty fantastic. And And again, like I'm just seeing how they're responding to the person's belief in themselves. And Mm. I also try to encourage when people take their herbs to have a little ritual around it. So taking a deep breath or smelling Mm. the herbs before. Um, I like to give the herbs in powder form, but if somebody needs it in a capsule, I'll have my herbalist or I'll have them take one capsule and and kind of put the herbs around the other capsule so that they can actually taste a little bit of the herbs. Mm-hmm. Because, again, the herbs are alive and they want you to taste them and they want you to feel them. They want you to smell them. And they'll believe in you as much as you believe in them. Mm. Thank you so much. I've never heard that said that way. It's really beautiful. It's a relationship. Yeah. And I also want to say, you know, I've, I have a lot of clients who too, you know, might have to be on a Western medication, you know, a drug of some sort or um, a prescription. And I also guide them into having ritual around those because Mm. there's nothing wrong with it. And there's so much shame around, Mm. around taking a pharmaceutical or having to take something for depression or needing something to sleep. And yes, like eventually if you want to come off of those, it's, it's definitely a hundred percent possible. And it's been done many times. But again, meeting someone where they're at and it's almost like eating Oreos or Reese's or something like, you know, quote unquote junk food that you want to eat it as fast as you can so that you don't have to think about it. (laughs) Right. Right. But it's like, well, what if we, what if we really like made it part of our dessert and, and said a little prayer and took a deep breath and, and, you know, put a little more love into it because it's going in our body. Mm. I'm really appreciating this. I I just had a conversation this week and I run a mastermind called the sacred truth mastermind where we're, you know, questing for that sacred truth within. And, um, and in that journey, we had a conversation this past week about um, a woman had to have a surgery 
that felt invasive and, you know, a lot of emotions went along with it. And she said, you know, I feel like I'm fighting my own body. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm mad at my body. I'm fighting my body. And I totally related to that with the IBS. I think it was years later. I was probably like 36, 37 when, when I was like, oh my gosh, I've been at war with my own stomach for so long, just really fighting myself. And so I'm really curious to hear you speak to that, this kind of relationship that we take on with parts of ourselves that, that are giving us, you know, seem trouble or, um, you know, if there's a complication and we just don't know what to do about it, you know, coming into relationship with that and, and healing the fight. I just, I'm like tuning into the collective of women that listens to this podcast. And I feel like this is just so rich. Like, you know, the, we all have a way that we have fought or do fight with our own bodies. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, body image, right. And, and diet culture and media perpetuate that. Right. So, you know, and I think as even just talking about our stomachs, um, I think just physically so many women have quote unquote issues with the way their stomach looks, um, or the way it's held or the way the skin is or whatever. And it's such a, um, it's, it's such a a sensitive topic for so many women. And I think so many digestive issues happen around the gut area or so many issues happen around the digestive, you know, area. I believe because as a society, we are dealing with an epidemic of body image, Mm. um, issues and, Mm. um, you know, our relationship to our stomach, Mm. to our thighs, to that part of our body that holds children, that gets a menstrual cycle, that needs fat on it to survive. Um, We're having such a battle. And, Mm. you know, I, I like to talk about Ayurveda this way and And I think the way Ayurveda really helps women a lot is to, and this is where the constitution is really, really helpful because, you know, everybody has a different way they look and a different size. And when you know your constitution, you can better understand and, and kind of relate to yourself and your shape and the way that you metabolize and the way that you eliminate and the way that you assimilate and maybe the way that your bones are and the mus- your muscles are because they're going to be different than the woman sitting next to you, but that it's all special and sacred because it's the five elements. There's nothing wrong with the five elements. They're, they are magnificent and gorgeous and sacred within you, but you're representing them differently than she is. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of, you know, our digestive issues are really stemming from the issues we're having with looking and loving our stomach Mm -hmm. and our thighs and our womb (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, and so it just really feels like Ayurveda is, is such a beautiful pairing with this sacred remembering of, wow, I've been fighting my own self. Wow. I've been at war or at odds with my own body. And so, um, yeah, we're coming back into right relationship with the whole of who we are. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, 
that's, that really helped me a lot. I definitely came kind of fresh out of college to Ayurveda school. And although I had known about the doshas and I, you know, I grew up with the medicine, I wasn't immersed in the study of it. And I, I definitely was dealing with, you know, body image and feeling comfortable in my skin and, you know, just feeling like I need to fit a certain mold. And when I learned about my unique constitution and how I function and how, how I thrive, that oh, it helped me so much just to look at myself. And there's this really special thing we do in Ayurveda called an Abhyanga massage. And mm. it's like a, you can get it done to you, but you can also do it to yourself. And it's with warm oils and you rub your body a certain way so that the energy moves and um, you like nourish your skin. And I just remember coming to school being so kind of like terrified of doing it because I had such mm. control issues with my own body. Mm-hmm. I didn't even want to look at myself. And when I went through the school and, you know, I, I connected with, you know, fellow women who are also doing it, who had also had some of these issues. And we just kind of all started doing it as a class, as a group, you know, we'd check in, Hey, Mm. did you do your Mm. Abhyanga massage today? And it kind of just helped me look at my body and touch my body and touch the places of myself that I didn't necessarily want to see or touch. And as I did that day after day, I really started coming into that space of acceptance and from that space of acceptance, coming to a space of love, even though like some days it's like, well, I don't really like that part still, but Mm. it wasn't this total reject mentality. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm sitting here with my eyes closed, just, you know, like imagining we, we live in a culture where we're very cut off from feeling our bodies, the embodiment of our bodies. And so I'm just imagining that practice as something that can really beautifully enliven the, um, the sensations of living in a body. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. And you, when you do it, you see your skin come alive as you're massaging yourself. I mean, you can just massage yourself without any oil and, and see that and experience it. Hmm. Um, and it, it's great. It's the best. And I, I, I tell men to do it also, you know, it's, it's a loving, nourishing experience every day. And it's one of the best things. Wonderful. So I want to begin to conclude and what's arising is the idea to ask you if women are listening and they're like, geez, you know, that sounds nice. I don't know how to fit it in or like, yeah, the the concept of nourishment sounds nice, but where do I start that kind of thing? Do you have any like tips um, as an Ayurvedic practitioner um, as to where to start? That's such a good question. Um, You know, again, everyone's different, but I always say, I like to say when you're feeling depleted, when you're feeling lack of, when you're feeling a restriction, I, I like to use the concept of just drop everything and go make yourself a cup of tea. Mm. That's it. Just mm-hmm. that act. Usually, you know, especially women, when there's depletion happening, it's usually because they're giving and giving and giving and, and there's very little thought coming into themselves. So whether they're an entrepreneur, CEO, mother, all three, 
a wife, a partner, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's so much outward energy and we need to be inward. We need to go inward at least once a day, hopefully more. Mm -hmm. So if, if a woman's having trouble starting and not sure what to do, go make yourself a cup of tea Mm. because it's going to take you two minutes, three minutes. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll take a deep breath. Um, But you get to do that for yourself. (laughs) So I, so two days ago, I, I did this. (laughs) because I okay so I I developed a program called structure and flow and it's like a planner um and at the time that I'm recording this I'm I'm using it with a mastermind but I'm also preparing for like a whole launch where we're going to use this as a as a group and so I'm like four weeks into using this 12-week thing and I'm like well damn I feel so depleted (laughs) and it was really I mean the the program reveals to you where you're out of balance so that you can make adjustments and you know I I really was coming into relationship with this idea of like, wow, I'm really structured and I am flowing, but my energy output is still so high and going to everyone else. So I guess this is to say like, everybody does this. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I scheduled two hours in the middle of an afternoon where I was like, I want hot tea, no caffeine whatsoever, like herbal. And I sat down with like a pen and paper, which I hadn't prioritized the time for because I found, you know, I have a daily meditation practice. Um, you know, some, some of the time I'm doing Kundalini and there's still, for me, I get into a habit of like a doing energy, even when I'm meditating, like I'm, I'm meditating for a purpose or something like that. Yes. Or I'm like doing the Kundalini to experience that Kundalini yum. <laughs> we can you know? all that. <laughs> so yeah, I really love that advice. And I, from my experience this week, I just highly recommend it. <laughs> it's like, let's yes. not overlook that, you know, that need. The cool thing about about the tea and just like taking it back to you have your herbs on your desk right now. You're literally taking your herbs. I mean, what are what is tea? It's herbs in a yeah. tea ba- in a tea bag, and that's again why I love herbs because you can literally pour hot water in a cup and and stir your herbs in, and you're you're that self care and that's right. nourishment and that's nourishment right there and 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 you allow the herbs to work for you you don't really have to do too much except for just you know be with them and love on them Mm, it's so inviting thank you so much would you please share with listeners where they can find you on the web and i'll put that in the show notes on the website as well sure um so you can find me on instagram um at huddy simran ayurveda and you can also find me on my website at hadisimranayurveda.com. Um, and there you can send me an email, connect with me, DM me. I am here to support anybody um, who has any questions or just wants to connect. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about this combination of Ayurveda and postpartum and women's care and coaching. I mean, it's so holistic and beautiful. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for bringing me on here. And thank you for everything you're doing. I love, too, everything that you're offering to women. So um, we'll keep up. We'll keep going together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for being here. Thank you. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? 
Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.